It's good to be with you this morning. We are in a series called Waymaker. We sang these words, you know, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. This is who you are. This is who you are. And so much of what we have to wrestle with in life is that question of, of who we are. And it was Augustine who says that when we begin to see God for who he is, we'll finally be able to see ourselves for who we are. And in this season, we turn our attention to the one who is that hope, that one who comes, who shows up, and, and who is this Jesus that shows up? And we're, we're using these, this language of way maker to help us to begin to kind of get a picture of who Jesus is. And we talked last week that, that this Advent season is a season for many of us where we feel like we don't have enough, that maybe we are not enough, that there is just not enough, but that when we come to Jesus, we find in him enough, that apart from him, without him, nothing really is enough. No amount of money is enough money. No amount of time is enough time. No amount of stuff is enough stuff. No amount of energy is enough energy. But when we come to Christ, there is no such thing as not enough. That he is able to take that little and continually multiply it to make a way for us. But even as he makes a way, we have to be willing to walk in it. We have to be willing to go where he leads us, to do the things that he is asking us to do. This morning we shift and we begin to talk about Jesus as the miracle worker. And I want to actually do something I rarely do, and I don't know if I've ever done, but I want to go back to the same story that we looked at last week. And I want to look at it though and hear about hear it from Mark's telling, Mark's perspective. In Mark chapter 6, you can turn there. I'll be there in just a moment. But as we think about miracles, I think, I think we tend to only imagine these massive interruptions to, to the natural systems of life. We tend to, to see and look for the, the big things as miracles, and we don't see we don't see that there are all kinds of miracles around us all the time. Again, in fact, like right now, the chair you are sitting in is made up of 90% nothing. Nothing. If you start to break things down below the atomic level into the subatomic level, you see that these elements, subatomic elements, are tiniest of particles moving around. The more rapid they move around, the more solid the item is. But that these subatomic elements are 90% nothing. And so even the hardest steel is 90% nothing. And it's holding you right now as if it was something solid and dependable. You are sitting on air. You are light as air yourself, made up of 90% nothing. Some of you may be 90% hot air, but that's a whole other story. I heard an amen. <laughs> I don't get a whole lot of those. That was a perfect timing. I think um, 
We, we fail to see how the, the spring rains become wine every summer, year after year. And we want to just remember the one time at that wedding or the miracle of 50, 60, 70 year marriages all around us. The miracle that teenagers make it to 20 ever. These are miracles, miracles all around us. But I want us to go to Mark and and hear the story of this miracle again from another angle, from another storyteller who's trying to make some other points. And I'm actually going to connect it to the story afterward as well. Usually they're separated, but there is this line at the end that brings the two together. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Be in verse 30. Feel free to use your phones, devices, the, the Bibles in front of you. If you are using um, a, the old-fashioned <laughs> or a, a book, an actual book, I love these, you can turn to the middle and start working your way toward the back, and you will find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some longer names of people from cities. You can start to come back to Mark chapter 6. Beginning at verse 30, it reads this way. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told them told him all they had done and taught. Now, just a little bit before this, we find that Jesus had sent the twelve out. He sent the twelve out, and they were sent to teach. And then they came back, and they're giving an account for what they taught. We're all accountable for what we teach and what we do to someone. And they are giving an account to Jesus. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So his apostles were hungry. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of him. So somehow before Twitter, before Facebook, before Instagram, word got out that Jesus was heading across the lake. And there was this crowd that actually beat him to the spot. They got there before he did. And when he stepped off the boat, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the, to the nearby farms and villages, go to the food court, go wherever they need to go and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. He gave them an instruction, you feed them. And their response was with what? With what? I don't, we don't, we don't have it. And they asked what we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Excuses, excuses. As if Jesus asked them if they had what it took to feed them. But he didn't ask them. He gave them an instruction So his response, as if he just ignored all of their excuses for why they couldn't do what he told them to do, he said, well, how much bread do you have? Just go and find out. 
So they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Now, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed immediately. This is why we have to, one of the reasons we have to connect these two, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. And while he sent the people home, and after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water, but he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all so terrified when they saw him that Jesus spoke to them at once. Listen, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, it's me. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were just too hard to take it in. So if you'll permit me, I want to do kind of the same thing I did last week and just point some things out in the story and some things that maybe we don't always notice but need to be reminded of, especially in times when we need a miracle, especially in times when we feel like we don't have enough or we're stuck in between or we're in this season of of anticipating what's next but being stuck where we are. Now, the, the first thing is that the ingredients for a miracle We're already there. Everything that was needed, all of the ingredients were there. He had already given them everything they needed to do a miracle. The problem is it was all in seed form. And we don't recognize things in seed form. We only see them in the harvest. We only see them once they're fully grown. We only see them once it comes to fruition. So we don't notice all of the things around us that are ripe and ready to become a miracle. The crazy thing about it is they do this weird thing, right? Did you catch who was hungry in the story? It was the apostles. They were hungry. But when Jesus had been teaching for a while, they still hadn't eaten anything. They were hungry. So they go to Jesus, and this is the same thing we tend to do. I love it. I don't know how many board meetings I've said this. So I've heard, Jesus, that the people are hungry. People are saying they're hungry. We need to say, Jesus, stop talking so we can go get lunch. Please. They were hungry, 
But, you know, it's easier to say the people are hungry. They weren't owning up to what they wanted or what they needed. And he just looks at it and is like, all right, fine. If they're hungry, you feed them. You do it. You already have everything you need to feed them. If we watch in the story, even as it unfolds, they're the ones who actually pass the food out. He gives the food to them to pass it out. But they already had, they just didn't see it. They didn't recognize that the ingredients were all around them. And in fact, he said, well, what do you have when they started giving excuses? Because that's what we do, right? God tells you to do something. Well, I can't. How do you want me to do that, God? I don't don't have the strength. I don't have the time. I'm in this little town in the middle of nowhere. How are we supposed to impact anybody else? Or, or God, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? Don't you know that I'd rather just be by myself than have to talk to people? He said, I do know it. I just don't care. I told you to do something. That's at least that's how he said it to me. Maybe he's, he's, he's more patient with you. He did give me like 10 years to hear it before he really just kind of said it that way. But, um, and, and we give all these excuses. I'm too young or I'm too old. I don't have enough knowledge or experience. I don't have enough, I don't have enough um, uh, talent. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough money. And we see this enormity of a problem, Right? We see what's needed, and we, we think, I don't have enough to solve the problem, so I'm not going to do anything. And it's really crazy that's what's happening, because he says, what do you have? And he says, go see. So they counted 5,000 men, because that's the way they did the men. The men are the ones that counted, so they counted the men. And so they walked, but there were probably somewhere around ten to 15,000 people. And they walk around, and they're saying, hey, Listen, we've got to find food for 15,000. Who's got, who's got some food? Who's, who can help us solve this problem? Who's got, a not, who's got something? And at the end of walking through this crowd, seeing what they have, they come back with the food from one boy's packed lunch. Five loaves and two fish. But you cannot convince me that that was all they had. You can't convince me that there weren't any other packed lunches anywhere in that crowd. You know somebody was like, listen, if we give our lunch to them, then we're not going to have enough. We can't even get part. We just barely have enough to make it on our own. We We just barely have enough to cover our own need. How am I supposed to give? And they, and they sit there this moment and they see this enormity of the problem. 15,000 people who need dinner. What I have isn't going to make a difference, so I'm not going to say anything. But the seeds of the miracle were there. And the seeds of the miracle are in your life and in my life. But it just doesn't seem like enough. And none of us have enough to solve the problem. It's how we kind of designed community to work. When it comes to spiritual gifts, he gives different ones of us gifts and abilities so that all together we can do everything he's asking us to do. Different ones of us have different amounts of of resources. But we're all tempted by that same thought. I don't have enough to solve the problem, so I'm not going to get involved. My $5 won't matter. My $50 won't matter. That, that, That $500 won't matter. 
it's not enough to solve the problem, so I'm just not going to. I don't have enough time, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to volunteer because I just don't have enough time as it is. You know, my one hour a month isn't really going to make a difference. Imagine if this boy had had that attitude. All it took was one. And here's the crazy thing. Of, it was one little boy. One person they didn't count. One person who didn't count gave the seeds of the miracle that counted for everyone. God has this weird propensity and desire to use the people who don't count, who don't feel enough, who don't measure up, who aren't excellent. He takes the foolish and he, and he makes the wise look foolish. He takes the small and puts the big to shame. He has a way of using the people who don't count to count for everyone. You want to push it even further? In this day and time, I can guarantee that his dad didn't pack that lunch for him. His mom or his grandma packed that lunch for him. And maybe as she's packing it that morning and giving it to him, as he's going out to do whatever he's going to do. I mean, they just heard about Jesus, decided to run around the road and find him. But he had this little lunch with him. She probably even thought, man, this isn't very much. I hope it's enough. He's a growing boy. I don't feel like I can ever feed him enough. And it's nothing special. We heard last time, last week, it's barley loaves, the cheapest kind of bread. Probably a couple of anchovies, and that's about it. That was his lunch. And she had no idea while she was packing that lunch, that she was packing the seeds, the ingredients of a miracle that we would be talking about thousands of years later. It was in this little ordinary thing that the miracle was birthed. And once again, by somebody who wasn't counted. By somebody in society that wasn't counted. He takes those who, does, who don't count, who don't feel like they count, who feel like they're left out, marginalized, don't belong, and he uses them in these remarkable ways. I wonder how many times we fail to see the lunch we're packing as the ingredients of a miracle because we have no idea what's going to happen the rest of that day. Or the little things that we do that show love to someone. Or that conversation, that listening, that prayer, that, that act of helping. All of these little conversations and moments and acts. The seeds and ingredients for the miracles that God is working all around us. How many of us had a conversation with someone at some point along the way where we were invited to a place like this, maybe this place, and it changed our lives forever. One little moment that seemed insignificant, the seeds and ingredients for a God who is always making miracles all around us. I think the next thing we need to see is that 
God is in the business of doing the impossible. God's in the business of doing the impossible. Can you imagine the disciples? Like, so they walk out and they find this boy's lunch and they come back and like, hey, Jesus, you asked us what we have. This is all we have. A couple little anchovies and a few pieces of bread. That's it, Jesus. Now what? This is impossible. Send them away. If you had just done what we asked you to do in the first place, Jesus, we wouldn't be in this mess. Ever prayed a prayer like that? If you had just done what we asked you, Jesus, we wouldn't be in this mess. And Jesus probably had a smirk on his face. So I don't know what you plan on doing, Jesus, but this mess is impossible. He says, here, just give it to me. <laughs> Shut up and watch. And he, he takes this not enough. We talked about this last week. He takes this not enough and he, and he blesses it. He blesses it. And here's the crazy thing. We do the same thing that the disciples did, right? Like if you'd only done we'd say we wouldn't be in this mess. In fact, we try to avoid the mess altogether. But miracles really happen in the impossible, not in the possible. We pray for miracles that are really management issues. Let me give you an example. We pray for a financial miracle, and really what we need to do is stop spending more than we make. Live by a budget and watch the miracle unfold in our lives. We pray, God, I need a miracle in my health. I need you to heal this high blood pressure. I need you to, to, to heal this or that. I need you to deal with this back pain. <laughs> and he says, I've already started the miracle. I built your body in a way, if you put the right things in and do the right things, it'll work right. And your back will feel good. And your heart will beat the way it's supposed to. And your blood will flow the way it's supposed to. And then in those weird times, because the world is broken that it doesn't, we've got these amazing doctors out there that can help solve the problem for you. Because they understand this miraculous system I've created. You don't need a physical miracle. Right? You need to drive by Bojangles and hit Planet Fitness. I mean, that's the miracle. We pray. We pray for a relationship miracle while we ignore our spouse and stare at our phones and haven't told them we loved them or done anything nice for them in a year. We pray for a job miracle. We show up late every day. We're rude to our boss and disrespectful to the people around us. We're like, what's going on? Why is it this working? God, I need a new job. No, you need a new attitude. Right? You need a new attitude. If you need to make more money, then maybe what you need is not a better job, but you need education or experience. Or if you're in your 20s, can I tell you this? You just need to be patient. You don't get your best job as your first job. You don't get your dream job for a long time. And if you want something, you're probably going to have to create it. And that takes time. Nobody changes the world at 20. Be patient. Give God time to develop you and prepare you for those things. So sometimes it's a management thing. And we're praying for a miracle. 
He's like, I already built the system, and that's the miracle. You just need to follow what I'm showing you. And that's where a lot of miracles need to happen for us. But when this, we often do everything we can to manage out impossible situations in our lives. We do everything we can to keep ourselves from being in dangerous places. We do everything we can to minimize our risk in life. And then we pray for miracles. It's like, you don't need a miracle to do that. You got it. And some of the stuff we should got. We should be able to take care of those things. But at other times, we need to follow him into the dangerous, risky, impossible situation so that we can see the miracle he would want to work in us. Then, here is the uncomfortable part of this story. The miracle is in the breaking. The miracle is in the breaking. He breaks the bread over and over and over again. And we, as a society, as a people, tend to try to hide our brokenness, our weakness, our limitation. We try to hide the parts of our story that are broken or not enough. And we look at him and we think our broken life, our broken heart, our broken marriage, our, our, our broken body is just not enough and not good for anything. And yet he's like, that's the very place. That is the very place of the miracle. That is the very place where you are empowered and equipped to minister to others and make a difference. It is the very necessary thing for you to join into the work of the kingdom. Because nobody connects to one another around strengths. We connect to one another around weaknesses around difficulty, around problems. And it is your brokenness that actually equips and qualifies you. And we look and we feel so broken and so not enough. But he's doing something in that brokenness and he's promised that none of it is wasted, that he takes the good and the bad. And it doesn't matter what you've been through or where you've been or what you've done. He says, I take all of that, the good and the bad, and I weave it together. And yes, yes, the enemy meant it for your harm. The enemy used it to attack your heart, your mind, your body, your life, your relationships. The enemy meant to take you out. But you're still here, and I'm still working, and I'm going to bring something good out of it for you and the people around you, if you'll see it and walk with me. If you'll see it and walk with me. Listen, the devil had his best chance to take you out on your worst day, and you're still here. You're still here. There is stuff for you to do. There is work for you to do. And that in itself is a miracle. And there will continue to be a God who sees and walks and guides you. The next thing. (laughs) They've been through this moment, this high moment. They've seen him do this miracle, this excessive miracle. Because remember he sent them out. They picked up broken pieces, fish heads and spines and tails and bread. And 
They filled up 12 baskets. Basically, it would have been like this strap, a basket on their side, filled it up, one for each of them. All the little broken pieces of the miracle. And then immediately, he says to get in the boat and head across the lake. Immediately. This is Jesus. Do you think? Do you think there's any possibility he didn't know there was a storm coming? No. He sent them straight into the storm. He sent them straight into the storm with their little baskets of broken fish heads and pieces of bread. Their crumbs of the miracle. He just sent them right into the storm. You guys go row. I'll, I'll see you. He didn't even go with them. Now, there were broken pieces of this miracle in 15,000 bellies headed out into the world. His ministry was about to explode. This is really his first real big public miracle. So he goes and he gets on his face and he's praying. If your ministry, if what you're doing, if anything you're doing is about to explode, the best place to be is on your face in prayer. And so that's where he is. He's up, but he goes up on the hill so he can kind of still see him, keep an eye on him. And they get out into the middle of the lake. It's the middle of the night. The storm comes. And it says there in Mark that he sees them. He sees them. This is what he sees. He sees they were in serious trouble. They were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. So here's what he decides to do at about 3 o'clock in the morning. You know they have to be tired by now. Worn out. Got their little baskets of bread and fish on their hip. Rowing with everything they got. Struggling. Scared to death. Jesus sees it. He sees their storm. He sees them in this storm. He's just worked this miracle and he sent them into the storm. He wants to see what they're made of. Not only what are they made of, but what's in them. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, he starts walking toward them. Walking on the water, you know, as people do. This is the part that's annoying. He intended to go past them. His intention was to walk past them. He sent them into the storm. He saw them struggling. And his intention was to let them continue to struggle. How much of life is spent in that boat in the middle of the night struggling? See, we want to jump, right? Like, we want to jump from miracle to miracle. Even as small as, like, I came on Sunday and I filled up. I'm so encouraged. I was raising my hand and singing, and the message just was right for me. There was something they said that just connected. God, help me. And then it's like Tuesday, and we're dying in the storm worn out, sweating, holding on to the basket from Sunday morning's little broken pieces of fish heads and crumbs. And we're like, I need to get to next Sunday. I just, I just need to get to next Sunday. And Jesus is helping to see. And sometimes this life happens in the storm and faith is not built on Sunday. Faith is not built in miracle to miracle. Faith is built in the in-between. 
And Advent is this season where we stop and remember how much of life is in between. Where, where we've heard God say, this, it can't stay this way. I'm doing a new thing. And now we got to get from here to there. We heard last week from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I'm making a way. 400 years later, Jesus shows up. We don't want to wait four minutes. We don't, we don't want to go into a storm. We don't want to struggle. We don't want to have to row the boat once in a while, especially if it means rowing hard. We don't want to have to hold on to faith when the waves are high and the, and, and the water is hitting us in the face and the, the wind is just beating us back. We, we're like, God, where are you? Why would you abandon us? And he's standing up on the hill watching He's watching, wondering, I wonder if they understood that last miracle. I wonder, I wonder if they realize what they have right there on their hips. I'm just going to walk by, see how they're doing. Maybe they won't notice me. Don't they freak out. That's not Jesus. I don't know who that is. a ghost. I don't know what it means they cried out because they didn't cry out to Jesus. They just cried out, like, ah, <laughs> what's happening? It's a ghost. He's like, okay, guys, just relax. It's me. He gets in the boat, and the storm calms. They weren't looking for a, a, a miracle worker who could calm the storm. They, were, they only knew Jesus up to this point as the one who broke the bread, They'd only seen him do this kind of miracle. This is like, I don't know about this. They didn't realize that this, this pack of fish heads on, and crumbs on their hip was this reminder that we have this God, this Lord, this teacher, this rabbi who can do whatever he wants. Who is over all things. Who is sovereign in the world regardless of how big the storm is getting. And that we don't have to be afraid when we walk into a possible situation. We don't have to to find it outside of him. Because the truth was they never had enough. There was not enough in them for anything. They didn't have enough in them to feed the 5,000 men and all of their families. They didn't have enough in them to calm the storm, but they knew the one who did. And those, those little pieces of the miracle from the past were the reminders that this is a God who can handle any situation, especially the ones that I can't handle. And when I find myself in the impossible situation, I'm supposed to give him whatever I have and let him do whatever he wants to do it. But I've got to expect him to show up in a new way. I've got to look for him in new ways, not just the same old ways. God, one time I was in a problem like this, and this is how it fixed it. This is how you fixed it. So that's the only place I'm looking for you here. And he's like, well, I was just five steps over. You got to trust me, not the miracle. You got to trust me, not the provision. You got to trust me, not yourself. Jesus saw them. He was prepared to let them struggle. But when they called out and they cried out, he came to them.
He came to them. I almost honestly wish the story didn't include the line and the wind stopped. I think it would be more like our lives. Because we'll call out to him and he comes, but the storm doesn't stop a lot of times. Especially immediately. And that season when we're struggling and we're rowing as hard as we can and we feel like, Jesus, where are you? And we forget about the crumbs of the last miracle that are still on our hip. We forget about all that he's done in our lives, all that he's done around us, all that he's already provided, all that he's already brought us through, all that he's already done. And we don't see him. We're rowing. I mean, we're having to push the basket out of the way and row. And we're still like, hey, do you you understand the miracle of the bread? What bread? What do you mean you've done something for me before? We get into a hard spot and like, I don't know if there is a God. He didn't do what I wanted. He didn't do what I needed. I don't know if there is a God. He's forsaken me. It's like he's watching. He's like right there walking by. You think he's a ghost. Something else. Not real. And he's always there. Always working. He is that miracle worker doing a new thing. The same as he was when he walked this earth, the same as he's been for the last 2,000 years, and the same as he'll be for eternity. Our way maker, our miracle worker. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. Streams in the wasteland. Let's pray. God, some days I feel like I am rowing in that storm and it just gets old. Some days I feel like I'm coming before you and I've got this little lunch and I feel like it doesn't count. Sometimes I feel like I don't count. And what I have to offer isn't enough to solve any problem. But God, in these moments, would I learn to give it to you and trust you in the storms? That no matter what I'm going through, you are the miracle worker who can handle any situation. That you are the miracle worker who is not abandoned or forgotten, but the one who sees us. And God, would you, would I, would you give me the faith to, to get into the boat when you send me into a storm? Would you give me the faith to listen and do whatever you ask me to do, no matter how big or small or crazy it seems? When I am sure, when I am confident, when I believe that is what you're asking, God, would you give me the confidence? Would you give us, your people, the confidence? Would we hear your voice today? Would we experience you speaking to us, challenging us, reminding us that you see us, that you see us and you come toward us, and that when we need you to, you'll get into that boat with us, but then there are times when you'll let us struggle, and that's okay too, because even then we're not abandoned. There is this miraculous nature to your presence that sometimes it feels like you're not there when you are. So would you remind us of the truth? You've never left us and you have never forsaken us. And you continue to bring about miraculous things in our lives. 
and when we're stuck in between waiting for what's next, would you give us the ability to hold on and remember what you've done? Remember how you were with us on our worst days. Remember how you were with us on the day that we failed the most, when you were with us when we hurt the most. You were with us when we were broken into pieces, when our lives fell apart, when our hearts were shattered. God, you were with us and you have brought us through every one of those moments and you will bring us through every moment that comes. We trust you, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. To you are. We find ourselves in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's an honor to worship with you this morning. We, um, we have homemade cookies for you on your way out. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you again soon.